Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from the book of Exodus and also some scriptures out of Genesis, how God prepared for man in creation and how God prepared a good and large land for his Jewish people. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. And then he prepared, God prepared for man, the stars, the stars for signs in the sky for man to enjoy and for man to wonder at. So on the fourth day of creation, God created or prepared for man a security of daily and seasonal stabilities and a celestial source of wonder. And if the sun and the moon and the stars were all prepared by God before he created man. And then on the fifth day of creation, I go to prepare a place for you. I want to come down to deliver them out of that land and bring them up. So on the fifth day, we see the great preparing God, the great creating God, preparing for man. Before he created man, he created and prepared for man sea creatures. And sea creatures would be for man a source of beauty and a source of wonder to make man happy, and a source of food for man. God did all that for man before he brought him in. And then God further went on and prepared for man birds on day five as another source of beauty, a source of song, a source of wonder to make man happy with what God had done, and also as a source for food for man. So on the fifth day of creation, God created or prepared for man an aquatic and an arrow source of wonder and security of daily provision of food from the seas. The sea creatures and the birds were all prepared by God before he created man. And then he comes to the sixth day of creation, where God prepared for man the land animals. Before he created man, he prepared for man the land animals, again, as a source of beauty, as a source of wonder, and also for the service of man and as a source of food for man. So on the sixth day of creation, before he created man, God created or prepared for man a terrestrial source of wonder, service, and also security of daily provision of food from the land. The land animals were all prepared on the sixth day by God before he created man. And then after that, After what? After God prepared the earth, and he prepared the light, and he prepared the darkness, and he prepared the heavens, and he prepared the dry land, and the seas, and the vegetation, and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and the sea creatures, and the birds, and the land animals, all prepared for man. And when everything was prepared for man in advance, then, on the sixth day of creation, God created man. He received him unto himself there, on the sixth day. God created man. And then he presented to man all that he had prepared in advance for man. See, I go to prepare a place for you. And then I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that there ye may be also. And then after all that was done, God then looked at man and says, how's it going? And he looked and he says, no, there's something incomplete here. Something is missing for man, a companion that is appropriate for him, like man. So then God created woman for man so that they could be complete together. And then God saw that man was also not whole, not complete, this time not physically and also soul-wise, as he found that mate in his wife. Man was not complete until he found rest in God. 
He found rest in God. He said he needs a day when he does nothing but worships God, when he spends time with God, when he finds rest in God. So God creates then the seventh day for a man as a day of rest from his work and a day to come to God, to find rest in God that God gives. So what we find in creation is a God who before he created man, before he brought man on the scene and received man unto himself, that he went and prepared a place for man. That's who God is. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's why he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And in the creation, we see the Lord Jesus going and preparing a place for man. And what a place God has prepared for man. And speaking about our exit from the earth, and when he said in John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you, and if the world was the first place that he prepared for man, we can only imagine how great God's second place is that he's prepared for man in his Father's house. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said for us to believe also in him, that meant for us to trust also in him. Trust him. Trust him that in his father's house there are many mansions. Trust him that he has gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house. Trust him to come back again for us. Trust him to when he comes back to that he will receive us unto himself. Trust him that where he is, there we will be also. Trust him, trust his promises, trust his word. So when he told Moses in Exodus 3.8 that he wants to bring Israel up out of that land of Egypt unto a good land, we see how the good land he is speaking about has been prepared by him. Moses understood what it meant to trust God. It means to let God bring unto the place he has prepared. And so from those words, Moses understood how God, the great creator God, the great preparer God, was to be trusted for this life. For the Jewish people should trust him to bring them out of Egypt unto a good land. For all people to trust him to bring them out of the life of their own sin and through death into the land where God is. Now in Exodus 3.8, God goes and describes to Moses this land. And he says that he wanted to bring the Jewish people, he wants to bring them into what's called a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this is the new land that God has described. It's so different from the land of Egypt and from what they knew. The new land was all that Egypt was not. It was a land that Israel did not have when they were in Egypt, and they longed for it. That's what they were describing. The new land was described as a good land. Egypt was a relatively bad land for them because it didn't belong to them. And also, it was a bad land because it was corrupted with Egyptian gods, who God later on would say that he would execute judgment on their gods. The new land is described as a large land. That part of Egypt where Israel lived in Goshen was large when there was only 75 people. But now they had grown to nearly 3 million people, and so the land was become small, and it was crowded, and they were hemmed in. And the land is described as a land flowing, and that's the key word, flowing with milk and honey. And ever and for always continual flowing with milk and honey. See, in Egypt, there was not the steady flow of food. Sometimes the waters of the Nile would flood and then recede like they 
Well, it was very nice, and then there would be good crops, good harvests in Egypt. But other times there'd be too much flooding or a drought, like in Joseph's time with the seven years of famine. And so food was not predictable. It wasn't flowing in Egypt. And God promised to bring the Jewish people into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And as believers, we see this world in which we live as corrupted by sin. And like Israel, we long to be brought by God where he wants to bring us a good land, a large land flowing with milk and honey. Now we come to verse 9, where God says, Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. This is a statement for Moses, and Moses could hear God say this, of engagement. Engage, Moses, engage. And so when we do as believers what it says in John 1.12, but as many as received him, not a religion, not a denomination, not a church, but the Lord Jesus Christ as a person. But as many as received him to them, gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our God and Savior, then we become one of the sons of God. We have the authority as a group to be called the sons of God. And what it means to be one of the sons of God is that we should then progress on. Progress on to what? To the point of that whatever makes God happy should make us happy. Whatever make God angry should make us angry. Whatever hurts God at his heart should hurt us in our heart. Whatever God is seeking to do should be what we are seeking to do. And that's what it means to be not just son of God, but a child of God. That's different. Because in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, he describes that being a child of God. And it says this, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So when we love what God loves, when we hate what God hates, when we are hurt by what hurts God, when we search for what God searches for, then we are the children of God the Father. Not the sons, but the children of God the Father. And the Lord taught us that we should be the children of our Father. He said that ye may be the children of your Father. And so there's a difference there between being a sons, one of the sons of God, as we saw in John 1.12, and that happens when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, from being a child of God. And that's why he challenges us and says that ye may be. If you do, then you are a child of God. If you receive, you are a son of God. Now, being a son has no measure to it. We either are or we're not one of the sons of God because we either have or have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. But being a child of God, that has measure to it. We can be more or less a child of God, and that depends on us. That depends on our choices. That depends on where we set our affections. That depends on our life. That's why he said, Do like God does, that ye may be the children of your father. So he said to Moses, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. 
So we have this verse, God speaking to Moses. He says, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I've also seen the oppression. Now, verse 9 is an engagement verse. God is saying to Moses, Moses, engage, engage. If I've seen it, Moses, you need to see it. Engage. If I've heard it, Moses, you need to hear it. Engage. And the way that God put that phrase to Moses is very instructive to us. He says, Behold, open the eyes. Behold, look at this. The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. So God was saying to Moses, Their cry has come unto me. And think of how far and think of how separated Moses was from the Jewish people at that point in his life. Moses was separated in time from the Jewish people for 40 years. He had not seen a Jewish person in 40 years. It would have been very easy for Moses to have forgotten about the Jewish people because it's been 40 years since he's seen one. But when God said to Moses, behold, it was a wake-up call for Moses that even though he has not seen them for 40 years, if their cry could reach God, then God was saying, their cry needs to reach you, Moses. Moses, listen to their cry. It's reaching me. And if you open your ears, I'll have it reach you as well. Now, Moses was physically very far away. He was very separated from the Jewish people. He was separated from the Jewish people by a long way. But for all that distance, God said in verse 9 to Moses, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And God was telling Moses that as far as Moses was physically from the Jewish people, he needed to let their cry also come unto him. That's a message for us. That's a message for us today. If I were to ask myself, if I was to ask you, what would we do to arrange a meeting? If we say, okay, let's arrange a meeting. Let's have a meeting with our lost friends and where we can bring the gospel to them. Let's have a meeting with our lost friends where we can bring the gospel to them. You know, more often than not, it would be, I don't have any lost friends. I don't know any. And that's sad. That's sad because that's too often the case where we have no lost friends, where all of our friends are from church, all of our friends are Christians, all of our friends are believers. We don't know where to start if we were to try to get together with lost people to bring them the gospel. Then then, if that's the case, then God would say the same thing to us that he said to Moses. Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. If their cry has come to God, then their cry needs to come to us. And in order for their cry to come to us, then we need to take the initiative to have the lost as friend so that we can hear their silent cries of desperation as God does. And we can see as God does the oppression that sin has put them under. Then we'll be in a position, as he did with Moses, to be sent by God to deliver them. Because if God has not isolated himself from their cries, from the sight of their oppression, we should not isolate ourselves from them either. Because our goal is that ye may be the children of your father. And so God sees today the oppression of sin has put them under. He sees the torments that the lost are under. And we need to engage by seeing it also. God sees the horrors, the absolute horrors that await the lost in hell. And if God sees those horrors, then we need to see it too. We need to engage on that point. 
God hears the cries of the lost, even silent cries, and he wants us to hear, engage, engage, engage. To us, he says, engage. To Moses, he said, engage. You don't engage. Think of my friend Russ Plowman. He went to go visit a 90-year-old Jewish man after his open-heart surgery. Why? Because Russ was engaging. He was engaging. That's why verse 9 is really like the motor of the engine. We come to verse 10. And God is grabbing the gear shifter and he's shifting the gear with those words, you know, come now therefore and I'll send you. And he's shifting and, the, and God wants the tires to move and Moses' feet to go for God. Come now therefore and I'll send thee. So verse 10, when he says that, he's like putting his hand on the gear shift, come now therefore I'll send you. We can see the pattern here. We can see the pattern that God's heart is stirred up. God's heart, it is troubled by what he's heard and what he's seen, and that has driven God to determination to deliver his people. And that's why he says this the way he does. He says in verse 9, he says, Behold, and in what he's heard and seen, and then he says in verse 10, Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Moses, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So what we see here is a very important pattern. The pattern we see here is that God first gives his motivation for the why, the why he will deliver, and then he says he's determined to deliver, and then he says he'll use Moses to deliver, and so he commissions Moses to be sent to deliver. So Moses realizes that God is calling him to deliver Israel, and Moses at first is shocked. He says, me? You send me? We'll get to that later. But Moses realizes that he's being sent and he sees the great authority of the one who's sending him. It's coming from God himself. God feels in his heart for the terrible state of the people of Israel, the Jewish people. God is therefore then determined in his will to deliver them. And then God acts by calling and sending Moses to deliver them. Now, that's what God did. And let's consider what Moses has to do in order to be God's man. Number one, Moses has to be willing to adopt or to take on God's broken heart for the terrible state of God's people. Moses can't walk away and say, I don't care. No, 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 he's got to be willing. God's first step with his man Moses is to break Moses' heart. In essence, God is saying to Moses, Moses, let me break your heart for the terrible state of the people of Israel. You are not qualified to go, to be sent by me, to go and deliver them unless you let me break your heart for them, unless you let me show you what I see, unless you let me make you hear what I hear, number one. Number two, Moses has to be willing after the broken heart to adopt God's determination to see the people delivered. Moses has to be saying, whatever it takes, I'm going to see these people delivered. And then number three, Moses has to accept God's call to be sent. Now, that's exactly the same pattern for anyone who wants to be a man of God, a woman of God, to be used by God. Number one, we have to be willing to adopt God's broken heart for the terrible state of the lost. It's not a theological point. It's a broken heart. Number two, we have to be willing to adopt God's determination to see the lost saved, to set it as our goal. And number three, we have to be willing to be sent by God. 
And the great example, the great pattern of the person who did this is Paul. We see in Paul how he adopted God's broken heart for the terrible state that the Jewish people were in as he spoke in Romans 9, 1 through 3, when he confesses from his heart, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So we see in Paul how he adopted God's broken heart for the Jewish people. And then Paul adopted God's determination to see the lost saved. And he speaks in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22. And he says, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Why did Paul make himself all these things? Why did he make himself a Jew, a weak person, under the law, out of the law? Why did he do all that, make himself of all things to all men? so that he could, as he put it, by all means or by whatever means, save some. Why? That's the heart of God. Because that is the heart of God. God wants to, by any means and all means, save. God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, as he says in Timothy. He says, he is not willing that any should perish, as he said in Peter, but that all should come to repentance. God will use all means. He wants all to be saved, all means. And Paul was sent by God. And so Paul's first priority is to find out what is the person like who I am being sent to, and also what is the person like who is sending me. And if Paul was sent by God, then Paul made it his business to find out what God was like so that he could reflect God, so he could be a good ambassador, could be a good person that God has sent. And so we see in Paul how much he valued being sent by God. And that was the necessary authority that he had to have to go reach the lost. And he spoke about it in Romans 10, 13 through 15, when he says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he asked the question, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. And then he says in verse 10, God goes on and he says, I will send you to Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Paul knew that his job was to bring forth lost out of the land of lostness into God. Moses knew that his job was to bring the Jewish people physically out of Egypt and spiritually out of Egypt. And Moses, we're going to find, had a harder time taking Egypt out of the people. It was easier for him to take the people out of Egypt than it was for him to take Egypt out of the people. But that's what was needed. 
And that's what Moses labored and gave his life for. And so did Paul. Oh, Paul would have said, it's real easy for me to get the one, two, three, repeat after me type of professions. He says, that's not it. He says, I need to bring the people out of the land of sin and into God. And he expressed this in Galatians 4.19 when he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. See, he's not talking about the one-time birth, but he says, I'm travailing again. For what purpose? Until they do the one, two, three, repeat after me? No. He says, I travail and birth again until I see Christ in you, until Christ be formed in you, until you are the children of your father. He said, that's the process. That's what Paul gave himself to. That's what it meant, as he put here, that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so Paul hears the same, that thou mayest bring forth my people out of the land of sin, and as he put it here, until Christ be formed in you. Well, that's where we'll stop today, and God bless you as you continue to meditate on the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, we do pray. Oh, how we pray that we might, Lord, be men of God, men and women of God, who, Lord, adopt your broken heart and accept, Lord, your call and adopt your determination and to see Christ be formed, Lord, the lost brought out of the land of sin and Christ formed in them. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now, God came down to rescue the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and he came down to rescue you and I out of bondage in sin. And now he asks us to go forth and reach the lost, especially his lost Jewish brethren. You can do that by giving them a Tom Cantor testimony DVD and booklet. We'll provide it free to you. Just call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org.